Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're with us today. We're ready to answer some questions for you. If you're a long-time viewer, you know exactly what we do on this program. We just try to help people know their Bible a little bit better and uh, maybe stir some interest in Bible study, but we do that by answering our viewers' questions. So you'll notice we have a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime you want to get in touch with us and tell us what's on your mind, anything about the Bible or maybe something in your life. You wonder what the Bible has to say about it. We'll try to find you an answer. Toby Levering's back with me. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And uh, we're going to try to answer as many questions as we can today. And maybe something we say will stir a question in your mind. If it does, pick up the phone or log on and uh, let us know what uh, we can clarify for you or some other question you think of. So let's get going. But we always start with one for you in the audience. And uh, the first question is, what kind of bird did Noah send out first? That's a key part of the question. The first bird he sent out, what kind was it? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. See if you, uh, you and your family know that one. And I think Toby got the first one today, so you get to start us going. I here. did. I drew straw number one. <laughs> and the question is, what are the differences in the various translations and which one is best? Uh, well, it sounds like a person who's an avid Bible student and enjoys reading and probably studying. And as you study the Bible and read through it, you'll note if you go to any Christian bookstore, even look online, there's a lot of translations out there. And sometimes uh, there's quite a bit of difference uh, in them and how do we know which one to use and which one is most accurate and so forth. Uh, for those who are not aware, uh, the Bible, of course, was not written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in <coughs> Greek. And so those languages uh, tra being translated into English uh, if you've any ever taken a foreign language course, you know there's not always a, a direct correlation or a, a word that means exactly the same, and so sometimes there's a little bit of interpretation. Uh, translations vary from one to the other, and the, the two things you want to think about is kind of a, think about a, a spectrum. At one end is the uh, uh, accuracy of the translation, meaning how true to the original text is it. Now I have on my shelf in my library a Greek interlinear Bible and it has the Greek written out and then the direct translation. It is very accurate. However, it's not real easy to read. It would be kind of hard to understand. Uh, and so at the other end of this spectrum is readability and how easy is it to understand. Now at the farthest end of this are are not even translations, uh, paraphrases and things like that uh, that don't even go for accuracy. They just kind of give you a real overview and kind of a gist, uh, give you the general idea of it. And so the goal is to get as close to accurate as you can that's still readable at your level. 
understandable in a, at, at a level you can understand. A, an example I use uh, when explaining this to people is, you know, I have children. I have a five-year-old and an eleven-year-old. They have different levels of reading comprehension, and so they have each have children's Bibles, but they're different. Uh, and the older you get, the closer to accuracy you should get. So what we advise you on this program is to read the most accurate one that you can uh, f find that is understandable by you, that doesn't give you trouble when you read it or study it. Uh, on this program, you'll note most of the time we use uh, New American Standard, New International Version, English Standard Version are the ones we most commonly use because we appreciate their readability for a general audience and also their accuracy. So uh, if you need some help with that, a, a website I recommend is BibleGateway.com, and on there you can pull up the interlinear and look at, I don't know, seems like lots of translations of the same verse, and you can go through and see. Uh, and you can also find uh, spectrums if you Google it and figure out which translations are real close to accurate and which ones are more readable. So, All right, good advice there. Uh, that was a little easier than mine. Our viewer wants to know, where will heaven be? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Handle this in a couple minutes. Well, I didn't try it. I guess you could try Google Maps and see if it, see if it shows up, but I don't think it will. Um, the Bible says a few things about Jesus ascending back to heaven and uh, that at the end of the time we'll all be caught up to meet him. So we get the idea that it's up somewhere and that's the only clues we've got really. Uh, but on the other hand, John's revelation, he talked about he saw the New Jerusalem, the holy city coming down and uh, it also says there's going to be new heavens and a new earth. So. It's outside our realm of understanding. I've got no clue where heaven's going to be. And we talk about it like it's up, and there's nothing wrong with that, and it may very well be up from where we are now. But the point is it's going to be a different kind of dimension, I guess. Uh, we're in a physical world. We think about being on earth, and we think about up being heavens, but if you're on the other side of the earth, it's the other direction, so we get a little confused. Uh, but we're going to be in a spiritual dimension. Uh, yes, I think we'll have physical bodies in a sense, and I think we'll have a physical uh, place to live that's, that's heaven, but it's going to be spiritual. It's going to be different, and I don't think we're equipped to understand it, even if I could explain it to you. So uh, the answer to the question, where's heaven going to be? I've got no clue. I know it's going to be a wonderful place. I know it's going to be a place where there's no tears and no problems that we have on this earth now. Uh, so it's going to be a wonderful place wherever it is. But the Bible just doesn't give us uh, coordinates on it. Uh, we don't know exactly where it'll be or exactly what it'll be like. Uh, Paul said, no eye has seen or ear heard or mind conceived of what it's going to be like. So it's uh, going to be a welcome surprise when we get there. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> it's going to be great. All right. The next question if you were asked about is where did the word Bible come from and who put the Old and New Testaments together? All right, two-part question here. The word Bible simply means books. Uh, if you've ever written a paper, maybe in college, you probably had to write a bibliography, which means uh, simply a, a writing of all the, the books or the sources that you used for that paper. So a Bible 
uh, is a collection of books. There are 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And those 66 books were written by over 40 different authors uh, over 1,600 years. So it's quite a collection. The interesting thing about the Bible is it all seems to harmonize. Uh, there are predictions and prophecies made hundreds of years before they occurred, and they came true, and it's told about in the book. So in my opinion, it's the book of books. Uh, now, your other question about who put the Old and New Testaments together, uh, the term for <clears throat> all the books uh, the, the, the recognized standard of books is called the canon. Uh, the canon is the, those groups that are generally recognized and accepted as holy scripture, uh, breathed by God and useful for increasing the faith of human beings. <clears throat> the books of the canon were selected by church fathers and uh, they were uh, in the early centuries of the church and they had several different criteria uh, on the basis of selecting what they considered to be a book of the holy canon. <clears throat> uh, proofs of divine inspiration, generally accepted authorship, authenticity, factual accuracy, all of these uh, and some others were com uh, components of what they used to judge. And once they had selected those books, uh, that was considered to be the, the canon. Um, if you think about Jesus Christ and the apostles were the the prime source, the original source of the teachings of the New Testament, and they, the apostles, wrote things down and and uh, wrote letters and and wrote the gospel accounts and so forth. Uh, then there were the church fathers and those who were men who were not with Jesus, but they were taught probably by the apostles themselves. So they were kind of one generation removed from Jesus and his ministry, and uh, then. That would have been about the first century. Then elders and uh, apologists and theologians, uh, they begin to have a lot of uh, false teaching creep up within the church. And they didn't, you know, they had these letters that had been written and passed around, but they didn't have a, a, a standard for all of that. And so they begin to sit down and say, okay, what is the teaching of the apostles, the, the true doctrine of Jesus Christ in his church? And that's when they uh, began to go through this process. Uh, most of the modern New Testament can canon was accepted about 100 A.D., give or take. Um, and nearly all of the books were settled by the 4th century. So uh, majority of history, if you look at a modern Bible, you're going to find all of the same books and, and understand that those have been tested and verified. So uh, that's a long answer, but uh, basically it's the church fathers and, and lots of wise men who had very strict standards of what uh, made a book more than just a human book, but a divinely inspired book. I hope that helps a little bit. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Toby's drawn a couple of questions here about the Bible and translations and where it came from and all that. Uh, and those are important to think about and wonder about. Uh, but the real important thing about the Bible is it's God's Word, and we ought to study it. And that's what we advocate here on this program is Bible study. We, we like to answer some questions and help you get answers to your questions that you maybe have always wondered about. But uh, we've got some free Bible study materials that would help you uh, study your own Bible. And lots of the questions we answer, uh, you could answer yourself if you've just got a little background in Bible study. So... Uh, that's what we promote here, and we've got some different ways to study the Bible. The 
course that you see on the screen right now. There's eight lessons in it, and it's a good place to start. It's our introductory course and gets you started by understanding the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then you go on from there. Then we've got more advanced courses that we're happy to get to you and uh, let you learn a lot about the Bible. It's all free. You do it in your own home. You do it at your own pace. You go as fast or as slow as you want, and we won't bother you in any way. It's just a good way to study the Bible, and we're happy to make that available to you. So there's a phone number, website on the screen. Use either one of those. Say, I'd like that free course, and we'll get you the first one, and uh, you can give it a shot. See if you like it, and if you don't, you just stop. And we won't bother you in any way. So good way to study the Bible. Happy to provide it for you. All right, interesting question, and I'm glad they put the second part on it. First says, should you pray for people to be miserable? Well, that sounds horrible, but then they say, so they will come to God. So, all right, I think I understand, and the concept this person has is, is some people have to hit bottom before they make a change in life. And uh, somebody that's been ignoring God, this person says, should you pray that things get so bad for them? Uh, that they finally turn to God? Well, interesting question. Uh, there are some uh, prayers in the Bible. The David mainly wrote them. Uh, they're called imprecatory prayers, where he's basically calling down curses on someone. Uh, and it sound, they sound pretty hateful and mean about destroying his enemies and breaking them all up and uh, just horrible things he wants done to his enemies by God. But if you read them all, the end result is he wants God to be glorified by eliminating his enemies and all of that. So uh, there's a few of those in the Psalms and kind of an interesting prayer. But that's not what this viewer is talking about. He's not calling down curses to get rid of enemies. Uh, he's saying, should you pray for bad things to happen to make someone miserable? Well, the Bible says to pray for everyone. Uh, the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. So that is in God's will, uh, that us to pray for people and that he wants them to come to repentance. So I think in that sense, yes, it's all right to say, God, do whatever you know best to get this position, person in a position where his heart turns to you. I would probably be a little leery of praying for specific <laughs> bad things to happen. Uh, uh, God won't do anything outside of his will, so he's he will filter all of that. But I understand what the viewer is asking, and in principle, I think, yes, it's, it's okay. Uh, the prayer maybe should be worded more God, I want this person to turn to you. I don't know how best for that to happen. I don't know what in your providence you see would be the best thing to hit that person or bring the right person into his life or take the wrong person away from his area of influence. Or You just do what you know to do. I'm praying for this person's soul, and I want you to handle it in the, your wisdom. Uh, and God will do what it what it takes. So yes, pray for people, uh, leave it up to God's will, and always include that, that uh, His will be done no matter what you want or what you think best. Uh, you may have an idea that, you know, if God would just get this person out of this 
uh, friend's life, uh, then everything would be all right. Well, maybe that's not the way. It may not may seem right to you, but long term, God may have a better plan. So, uh, okay, pray for God to do whatever it takes to get that person to turn to God, and probably you'd be on the right track. That's my guess, but the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it. All right. The next uh, question of viewer ask is, our pastor says he is an ordained minister with Christ's authority, so he can forgive sins. I don't think that sounds right. <laughs> Does the Bible give him that authority? Well, uh, first I would tell you, probably listen to your instincts there. I think that's correct. Uh, I suppose it's possible that your pastor could have that authority if he's uh, sinless, uh, eternal, and he paid the price for your sins. I'm being a little uh, facetious there, but... Uh, you know, it was only Jesus, of course, himself, and he did give the apostles the authority to forgive sins, but uh, the, the, the apostles were people who were with Jesus, actually with him, and were witnesses of the resurrection. So those aren't around anymore. Uh, the authority to, come, to forgive sins comes through Christ alone. Uh, since all the um, apostles have died, we don't have anyone on earth physically, a, a human being, who's able to to uh, forgive sins directly, and we don't need it. Uh, Jesus, or uh, Paul wrote to Timothy that there is uh, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, so we know that we don't need human beings to um, uh, mediate and, and forgive our sins. There's no purpose in that. We go through Christ. We can pray for forgiveness, repent, um, and he will <coughs> forgive us. Uh, so let me read a verse that will be on the screen, John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way to the Father, and he's only, the only one who can mediate uh, and forgive our sins. So, uh, listen to your instinct is what I would advise. Okay, I think that was an excellent answer. I think you get it covered right and answered that viewer's question. I always kind of think from the a preacher's point of view that yeah. maybe this person doesn't quite understand what the preacher's saying. Uh, spiritual counsel and wisdom, you might listen to a, a preacher, an elder, or someone uh, in an instance where maybe somebody's done something wrong or uh, uh, a shaky marriage or something and one person is at fault and they say, okay, I'm sorry and expect it to be over. Uh, a wise spiritual counselor might think, nah, I don't think you're very repentant here and may counsel you that way. So what Toby said is exactly right. Men can't forgive sins in that sense. Uh, but listen to a wise counsel about whether you're actually being penitent or not. There's a, a sorrow and there's a godly sorrow. So <laughs> there's a difference there. So. Uh, Listen to what somebody's telling you, but no, man can't forgive sin. He got that right. <laughs> okay, let's talk, stay on preachers here. Why don't preachers say the Lord's Prayer today? Well, it's an impossible answer because I'm not familiar with all preachers, and <clears throat> I'm not sure anybody's qualified to say, well, preachers don't say the Lord's Prayer anymore. Uh, probably this person's right, and the odds are probably with them. Uh, I don't know the percentage of people who recite the Lord's Prayer and worship services anymore. <clears throat> but worship in general has become a little less structured, a little less formal, uh, 
a little looser, a little more free form. So in general, I'd say probably the Lord's Prayer doesn't get as repeated as often as it used to. Uh, now, why? I don't know, except for the change in worship styles, something. Uh, but let me say a few things about the Lord's Prayer. Number one, it's not really the Lord's Prayer. We call it that. Uh, but it's really the disciples' prayer. <clears throat> the disciples went to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And so Jesus said, all right, pray like this. And he gave them a sample prayer, a model prayer is what it is. It, it's not a form that you have to repeat word for word or that you even ought to repeat word for word. Uh, nothing wrong with repeating it. Uh, <clears throat> but there's a danger that it can become a, what Jesus called a vain repetition uh, where you just have it memorized and spit it out without even connecting the brain or thinking about what you're saying. Uh, so there's a little danger there in repeating it all the time. Uh, but it's a model prayer. Jesus was just showing them, here's the things that ought to be in a prayer. And uh, using it as that, you know what you ought to the thing, kind of things you ought to pray for. So a little comment on the Lord's Prayer there, but I don't know why it's repeated less than it maybe once was. All right, let me take this moment and talk about the churches of Christ that support this program, and uh, they keep us on the air, and we like to mention a few of them each week. Uh, today, let me mention one up in South Dakota, uh, Brookings, South Dakota. We've got a fine group of Christians up there. Jim Mettenbrink's the minister there. And, uh, teaches the Word of God very ably and a uh, great bunch of folks that are active in their community and uh, think and study about the Bible a lot like we do on this program and we're happy to have them as one of our partners in Know Your Bible. So if you live in that area <coughs> up there in the South Dakota area and are close to Brookings, drop in and visit them sometime or maybe you know a member of that church. Uh, tell them that you saw them on Know Your Bible and appreciate them helping keep the program on the air. Whatever broadcast area you live in, if you're watching Know Your Bible, probably a Church of Christ close to you, uh, give them some thanks or drop in and visit them if you're looking for a church home. You'd be warmly welcomed. All right, Toby, let's go back to the beginning, it looks like. No, no, way, way back in the way, way back machine. Now, viewer asks, were there any other human beings or any, were there any other humans or any other beings before Adam and Eve? And my answer is to that, no, not that we know of. We are not told anything about that in the Bible. And lots of people have speculation about other human species and other uh, created beings and so forth. And... Uh, even in other worlds and all of that. So uh, is any of that true? I, I don't think so personally, uh, and we don't have any proof of it. Uh, but certainly according to the Bible, uh, the only record we have is the creation of two hu human beings to, to begin, uh, Adam and his wife Eve. Now, so there is some confusion sometimes as people will read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. They look at those two stories, and it seems to be, if you read it, Incorrectly, it seems like they're talking about two creation accounts. It's not really talking about that. Genesis 1 gives us the whole overview, and then Genesis chapter 2 focuses just in on the creation of Adam and Eve. So those are the same story, just one's a broad focus and one's a, a, a narrow focus. 
Um, but according to the Bible, Adam and Eve were the first, and uh, since then, human beings have uh, have made all sorts of messes and mistakes, but God's always had a plan for that. Let's read chapter 1 of Genesis, uh, starting verse 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. They were the first, and in my opinion, they, they were set at the top of the order and, and made to rule over all the earth and everything in it. And they were made in God's image, which makes us unique uh, from all the other created order. So, hope that helps. <laughs> yeah, I was just glancing back at Genesis 1 and 2 there. You mentioned the transition between mm -hmm. the, the summary and the, the details. And uh, chapter 1 ends and says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Yep. And then it goes right after that. It says, Now this is the account of when things were created. And it starts with Adam and Eve and goes yep. into more detail about the man there. So there's a transition between it. And, yep. uh, just kind of like an introductory prologue and then a yep. detailed chapter. So right on there. Yep. All right, viewer wants to know, why do some not believe Mary was a virgin? Well, I know atheists and people like that don't believe Mary was a virgin, but uh, I assume all Christians in general believe she was a virgin, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, so I assume a viewer's means, why do some Christians uh, don't think that Mary was a perpetual virgin. And there are some that teach that. The Catholic Church holds that she was a virgin forever, that she uh, never had sexual relations with Joseph or anybody else. Uh, and we don't believe that. We believe that, that after Jesus was born, uh, she was no longer a virgin with Joseph. Uh, the reason we believe that is Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, uh, which let me read to you here, and if I can find it, yeah, Jesus went back to his hometown and the people there looked at him and said, uh, isn't this the carpenter? Uh, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and aren't his sisters here with us? Well, he had brothers and sisters. Uh, so we believe that Mary had Jesus as a virgin, and then after that she and Joseph had a normal marriage, and she had more children and all that. Mary was a wonderful woman, uh, chosen by God and all that, but the Bible does not elevate her to a, a sinless, perpetual virgin status or anything like that. So uh, I hope that's what the viewer was talking about, and I hope I got that one correct there. Uh, most Christians, I'm sure, believe Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born, but not a perpetual virgin. All right, we're out of time for questions today, but uh, we're going to come back next week and answer some more of them for you. We've got a trivia question to get covered here, an old story of Noah and the ark. And uh, when the water started going down, Noah sent a bird out to see if he could find any land. And what was the first bird? It was a raven. Genesis 8, 6, you can read that. Uh, sent the raven out, and the raven came back because he couldn't find any place to land. So Noah knew it wasn't quite time to make dock yet. <laughs> they had to hold on for just a little bit longer. All right, we uh, offer you the correspondence course each week. Uh, I, I run into people out in public that say, you know, I'm going to sign up for that course someday. 
and have never gotten around to it. Today would be a good day to do that, finally. There's a website and a phone number you can use anytime, but if you don't do it now, you'll probably forget about it. So get up and uh, make the effort. We'll get that started for you and help you learn a little bit more about the Bible. And then we've got plenty of your questions coming up next week. Going to come back and try to answer as many of those as we can. We're glad you've been with us today, and uh, we'll hope we see you next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.